everybody, and welcome to the weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. Joining me on the other end of the line, back on the East Coast, it's a man who knows all about the 405 and wants to tell you his directions. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Did you know the 405 is really slow? Cars don't go very fast on it. I experienced that first time this weekend. (laughs) So do, do you have alternate routes now that you want to explain in elaborate detail? No, it's just crawl along or get in the carpool lane if you can, I think is the Californian way. Um, I see. But I, I love California. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, bringing up my trip. Of course. My pleasure. And now we're, we're back uh, to break down the weekend's action. Which well, you, Ryan... know, you know, it's a very special day today as well, Tay Tay. It's International Podcast Day. Did you know? I I did not know. I saw some tweets that were talking about like people's favorite podcasts, but I did not really know what the context was. So now I know. It is hashtag International Podcast Day. And I've got to say, of all the podcasts out there, this is one of them. <laughs> I actually saw you uh, tweet that we were one of your favorites, which made me happy, but then I couldn't tell if that was genuine or just because you were on it occasionally and you like yourself. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that in the air. Right. <laughs> no comment on that one. <laughs> what, what, what exactly are you supposed to do to celebrate Interna- International Podcast Day? Do you wear like uh, headphones in like the whole day round, which is something I do pretty much anyway? Like, Are there special things you're supposed to do to celebrate? Do you leave milk and cookies out for, I don't know, Steve Jobs? <laughs> In case he comes down the chimney tonight, perhaps, yeah. You leave leave a fruit plate out for Steve Jobs' ghost, I think is what you're supposed to do. For me, I am recording a podcast with your good self. I'm wearing my uh, Pod Save America Friend of the Pod t-shirt as well, so I'm very pod-themed today. All right, you're you're, uh, on theme, I like it, and you are here, as always, to help me break down everything that happened from the weekend. We're kind of all over the place because I'm going to say this weekend, it didn't have as many, like, big-time results. There weren't as many big-time games, like, to start off with. Like, you didn't have a lot of big rivalry games in the Premier League or in the Bundesliga and La Liga. You Mm -hmm. had a few of those here and there, and so I feel like that kind of afforded us the luxury of maybe looking at some other stuff we wouldn't normally look at. Great, let's do that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we're going to look at like tennis or something. Uh, no, never, never, never tennis. Never, never <laughs> tennis. But we will start with the Premier League, still start with the Premier League. And I want to start with thumbs up to Liverpool, simply for getting it done. Um, a 1-0 win on the road against a feisty and, and uh, pretty defensive Sheffield United team. Um, and it really was uh, an ugly goal that saw Liverpool get through. It's a shot from Gigi Wijnaldum, but it's definitely Dean Henderson spilling it into his own goal. But as the old cliche goes, champions find a way to win. Win, and Liverpool have done just that. Yeah, I think that's a cliche I probably spout on every edition of this show, I and mean, it, it holds true once again here, doesn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, you you could um, you could call it a lucky win in a way and a lucky goal certainly, but you look at the stats and Liverpool had seventy percent possession this game. Mm-hmm. They had sixteen shots, four of which were on target, and you know, looking through, they had a lot of shots which were much more wayward than you would expect from their from their forwards in this game. Um, and I, I kind of get the feeling at Sheffield United like a road game specialist because I think they've lost their last four home games now, if I'm not mistaken. And they do, they have got a few results on the road, you know, getting a draw at Chelsea and whatnot. I think, are they, are they a sort of team that are more of a threat when they're on, when they're on a, um, a rival territory? I, I wonder if maybe that is the case because they are, it's still relatively early in the season. This is an oversimplification, but since I started us off with a cliche, I'll just now go into an uh, oversimplification. Maybe it is just the case that they're a promoted team that we're still early in the season. And maybe there's this idea like, oh, you're coming to a, a kind of uh, like more impressive stadium than you're used to from the championship. Maybe you're going to be a little bit overwhelmed by it. Maybe you're just going to be easier for the team to get the results at home. And if you have that approach, if you're just like 95% focused instead of 
of 100% focused, that 5% can make a big difference. Although, mm. if Sheffield's goalkeeper, uh, Dean Henderson, is not 100% focused either, then maybe it doesn't end up making that big of a difference because he spills it into the net. Afterwards, uh, manager Chris Wilder, like, really... I- I found it like refreshing and simultaneously pretty harsh that he was sort of like he knows he needs to do better. And definitely I think he said like I'm not going to like ruffle his hair and say it's all good or anything like that. Like he definitely vocalized his frustration that the game went the way it did and the goal happened the way it did. Yeah, it was it was just unfortunate all around basically, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Not that it wasn't a badly struck hit Mm-mm. though. No. Let's say just no, I mean it's, the goalkeeper. It's, it's, I mean, but you know, there's some power behind it. It's, it's, it's a decent hit, but it also mm. means that even though uh, it's a fluke of a goal, it still means that Liverpool start the season perfect, uh, seven wins straight, no draws, no losses. So a decent mm. way for them to start it and to continue to kind of push that title race. Uh, now have have the gap that they have. We still have the articles about is the title race already over, which makes me uh, laugh uproariously because again, Ooh, it's just I barely. One of those today. You, you probably should. Uh, it, we're, it's about to be October, and at that. Point, I think you're legally allowed to start writing those. When, when you're two months into the season, it's okay. Well, what is, there's a five-point gap now. And mm-hmm. last year, at this stage, if I'm not mistaken, they were even on points Liverpool and Manchester City. So it's worrying from that respect. But also then you've got to look at last season where, what, Christmas Liverpool had, mm-hmm. what, a seven-point lead? And it swung yeah. the other way again, obviously. Something like that. So mm-hmm. there was an eight-point swing between Christmas and the end of the season. The other way, so I don't, I'm, not, I'm not too worried for the, uh, for the sanctity of the title race just yet. <laughs> I'm not either, but I am enjoying Liverpool like stretching this run of results together and putting that pressure on Man City because it's not a position they tend to find themselves in at least not since like, you know, around Christmas of last season and so to have it happen this early, it it will either make them elevate their game or make them get a little bit nervous and maybe not have the performances they need to have. That said, they did have a strong performance this weekend away to Everton, a 3-1 win for City. Ryan, have you got any thumbs from this game? i got a few thumbs to this one. I, I mean, kind of a thumbs up for Man City for getting the result here, the 3-1 result away mm-hmm. from home. Not an easy place to go, Goodison Park, but it was a lot closer than the scoreline suggested. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to give a thumbs down, though, to the biggest disaster of the day. <laughs> it was the kit, Man City's I was kit. Just- I wasn't sure which thing you were going to go with because there were a couple of disasters some, in this one. There were some other disasters, not least of which, of course, Theo Walcott getting a, a very serious injury at the start of the game, which is yes. not a laughing matter, of course. But the the um, yeah, this what is a laughing matter is Manchester City's kit in the tequila sunrise thing going on here. If there is ever a situation where a team could be fine points for a kit they wear, is it not this one? So is it just that the kit was ugly and was Tequila Sunrise to you, or is it because it's so different than the normal colors that you would expect City to be wearing? Oh, I'm all for change. I like different things. That's fine. It's just it was really horrible to look at, you know, aesthetically on my eyes. Hurt mm-hmm. my eyes. Although it's, I will it's say, strange colors, and the fading is kind of odd as well, that it fades into one and then back into another. I, I don't know what to make of that one. Yeah, it's, it's very odd. And I think Barcelona had a similar third kit a, a little while they ago, did, didn't they? Which, right. which they? which they had, which I think faded into blue. Um, but I will say there was another kit crime on a game we'll probably speak about later. Fiorentina wearing that green color, which I yeah, think threw me off. Brighton also wear, which is like, you shouldn't be able to wear that color green when you're playing on a green field. No, don't like it. 
Not I don't like it either, especially because I kept expect like every time they would cut to a player, I would think like, oh, okay, that's the goalkeeper. Expecting Fiorentina to be wearing purple and the goalkeeper to be wearing green. Instead, they were all wearing green, and it made me confused. Here, <laughs> it made me confused a little bit, but I have a theory that it actually made uh, Everton confused, and they were convinced they were playing Watford, and so they just kind of took the pedal off a little, <laughs> or foot off the pedal a little bit. They didn't play as like tight as they could have because they go up one nil. They end up losing three one. I'm assuming it's because they assumed it was Watford, thought it would be an easy game, and in the end, it was Man City wearing decoy jerseys yeah they didn't technically go one up i think everyone scored the opener oh yeah, the- yeah good call <laughs> never mind see <laughs> see even i'm confused yeah it's, it's confusing the, the, the kits were very uh, very odd the, but i will say on that first goal kevin de bruyne's first touch cross mm-hmm. it's a move we've seen a few times from kdb this season isn't it glorious when he does that and the header obviously to finish that first goal as well was wonderful it, I, I love it especially because it reminds me of like you know like like you would watch David Beckham cross a ball at his prime at his peak and just think like yep that's a that's a ball that only David Beckham can hit like just yep. that bend the trajectory on it Kevin De Bruyne has that same sort of delivery it's not the exact yeah. same because it's like lower and has more whip on it but it just he hits that ball with such regularity that I do now think of it as like a De Bruyne ball and I also think of it as uh, completely undefendable. Bend it like De Bruyne the sequel here it comes I like, I like it, it. <laughs> it it's. <laughs> I don't know if he's uh, if he's ready to star in, in any sort of uh, future films, but we can see what happens. And I say it's undefendable. I, I, I should add, it, it can be defended against if the person who's on the receiving end of that ball uh, makes, a, makes a meal of it. Uh, it was not uh, a Kevin De Bruyne ball that Gundogan missed. I think it was a Riyad Mahrez cross, mm. but that maybe was the worst miss I've seen in quite some time. Thumbs down, baby, for Ilke Gundogan on that one, the miss of the season. It's one of those cliched, and we're peddling in cliches very much today on International Podcast Day. That's what people come here for. Of course. Um, Harder to miss, right? Harder to miss. Like, he's inside the six-yard box, hits the bar from that kind of distance. Yikes. I have had, I'm not saying this is what happened, but I have had those moments where there's the wide open goal, and you have just that little like quarter to half second of knowing like the goal is wide open don't miss this and as soon as you think to yourself i better not miss this you're definitely gonna miss it and that's all i can figure is that gundawan knows that ball's coming across mm. knows he's got an open goal knows again the delivery from red Mares. like all he needs to do uh he being gundawan is get a body part to it and not put power behind it and that ball is gonna go in and i think just that moment here like wait what do i do in this moment and there's a little bit of freeze and he ends up hitting it too hard and as you said it is more difficult to miss than make and yet somehow he pulls it off yeah that's miss of the season for me right now overthought it overthought it that was a, that was a frustrating moment as was if we can just jump back to the equalizer mm-hmm. everton's equalizer uh-huh with um with uh calvert lewin getting a little yep. header on the end of it that was going in anyway right i've got did thumbs he... down thumbs down to dominic yeah. calvert lewin did he steal that one he definitely stole that one. <laughs> Shame is going with a great little chip. It's going across. It's definitely going in. And it was almost, Cover Lewin at least times has run well enough, but it was almost one of those we've seen in the past where the ball's going in and then the other player runs in to smash it home and sort of like mm. celebrate emphatically, but that player is offside and now the goal no longer stands. At least on this occasion, the goal stands. But yeah, that was definitely going in. And then Dominic Covert Lewin with the unnecessary diving header on the line, but still gets credit for it. I guess he pads his stats, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, come, come on. Seamus Coleman's not going to get on the top scorer. He's not going to threaten you. Let him have that lovely little chip. <laughs> Let him have that one. And then I think as, that soon as, been it, fine. as soon as the header was, as soon as he got on the end of it, I was like, hang on, hang on. Have we got some offside call here? Because a split second goes through your mind that he's had an absolute mare in doing that. Mm-hmm. But he got away with it in the end. And I was oh, thumbs down. Two thumbs down for that one for me. I agree, but two thumbs up uh, to the to the banner that the Everton fans uh, erected, which was uh, we, Ryan. Your your uh, foreign language abilities tend to be better. Can, can you go with the pronunciation on this one? <clears throat> I believe it is no racismo. <laughs> 
Is that right? Put some, you put some uh, spicy marinara behind that one. Uh, <laughs> I did. I think um, it's a note to racism in Italian, mm, a nice yeah. banner with uh, Moise Ken. Are we saying Keen or Ken now? Cause I, think I believe it's changed- Ken. Because he, it was Ken, and then I, has he now said it's Keen? Since he's been uh, I, I, in, in but the I can't. I have wondered this as well. I can't tell if he has like like corrected the pronunciation or if he's just kind of accepted that the British press is going to call him uh, Keen in the same way that De Gea is De, or De Gea is De Gea and all yeah. of those types of pronunciations. So maybe that's and Martinez is Martinez, which is one that still throws me. So maybe it's that. Either way, I think people who know who you're talking about. And either way, it was a good banner. It was a great banner. Nice, nice show of uh, uh, of support for for Moyes, Ken Keen there. One of the stuff. And uh, I think it was uh, three thousand pounds raised by supporters around the world, not just from fans, like uh, on the day, uh, which goes to pay for the banner. But then also the excess, I believe, was donated to a couple different charities, including Kick It Out. Uh, so all in all, a good message to convey at a time when maybe Italy are not conveying that same message. I'm going to be talking to Leander Sherlockins later in the week about what's going on in Italy uh, and sort of the. Not, like, like not even difficulty, just kind of refusal to deal with some of the racist incidents that have happened, as well as mm. why they may be happening and how they're justifying it. So uh, I look forward to that conversation, even if I know it's probably going to be wildly depressing and sort of a bummer. So should we just move on instead, Ryan? Yeah, nice preview of that show, by the way. <laughs> I, I do what I do. I do what I can. I try. Uh, I've got a couple more thumbs for the, in the Premier League. Do I want it. to say thumbs down to Mike Ashley for just being consistently the worst. Uh, Leicester City 5, Newcastle nil. Mike Ashley did not play in this game, did not manage this game, so not, nece- <laughs> not necessarily at fault for the, uh, the scoreline such as it was, but with everything that w- went into this season... For Newcastle to be in the position they're in, I give all the credit to Mike Ashley. This is a a team that allowed Rafa Benitez to leave five weeks before the season started. They bring in Steve Bruce three weeks before the season begins, who had been warned, I learned this today, by multiple people, including Alan Shearer, not to take the job. Was told, it's not going to go well. It is It is a very negative, toxic atmosphere. You don't want this gig. Sure, would know about that, of course. Yeah, he certainly was. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, apparently this is Steve Bruce's dream job, he said, which I feel like any job that he gets in the Premier League is his dream job, but whatever. Um, they then lose 66% of their goals thereabouts from last season. They sell, they sell Aosi Perez. They fail to bring back uh, Salomon Rondon. He leaves as soon as Rafa Benitez leaves. They bring in Joel Linton, Yoshinori Muto, and Miguel Amaran, obviously, last winter. 19 appearances for them this season, zero goals. The only positive for me is that DeAndre Yedlin returned and played 16 minutes, and there's only one goal scored while he was on the pitch. So that's your positive, but definitely a lot of negatives for Newcastle, and I really struggle to see how they managed to stay up this season with everything I've just mentioned and the fact that, again, it's, it's only late September, early October. feels like things can get dramatically worse before they get any better. Or they might get amazing. Remember, a month ago, this was a team that beat Tottenham at their, at their stadium in London. So who knows? Steve Bruce might turn this ship around, but it doesn't look very likely, does it? I think they're the, the, they're the heavy favorites for relegation. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I, I, it, it just, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Newcastle, but it's a fantastic city. It's a one, a one team city. You know, you've got this beautiful stadium up on the hill when you, when you, and you know, the fans walk towards it on 3 p.m. on a Saturday. It is the, I think, the loudest stadium I've ever been to. Really? Uh, it's wonderful atmosphere in there, despite all the nonsense those fans have to go through. And, and to, just to have that fan base, to have that kind of atmosphere, to have those kind of people backing you, and to still be the way Newcastle are, it defies belief. It really does. And, and Daryl and I have talked about this previously, but obviously you have you have your own experience and your own knowledge when it comes to Newcastle and England. But like from what I understand, that is sort of one of those cities that like things stop when the team plays, or at least it it was when they were somewhat decent. That like that that. 
like the climate, the difficult uh, like temperatures at times, the harsh winters, like it makes it so like people rally around that team from what I understand and to have them be this poor. I cannot imagine how depressing it must be to be a Newcastle fan living in Newcastle right now. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, exa- exactly that. They deserve better. They definitely deserve better. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say about it. They're a nonsense organization, aren't they? <laughs> I think I moved us on from like one sad thing to another sad thing. So let's just continue it on by rounding out the Premier League. Ryan, you had down that you, I guess, wanted to discuss Manchester United v Arsenal, which will be happening later this afternoon. I don't know what to expect other than to probably be disappointed. To expect disappointment is where I am. Where are your thumbs on uh, Man United Arsenal? Well, I mean, obviously, this might be this might be a done contest by the time people listen to this. But uh, Arsenal, uh, Man United, are twelve matches unbeaten against Arsenal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe at home that is. Um, and I think. Oh, so what was the last time they met? Was that a two? That was a two 0 win for Arsenal, wasn't it? As well, that was, when it was Emery versus Solskjaer as well. So uh, I, I don't know how to feel about this one because I could see either team mess it up basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but I suppose the point I wanted to talk to you about is. United's attacking line is getting a lot mm-hmm. of heat. This attacking line at the moment doesn't seem like they're a little bit thin up front there. So do you think, what's the solution in your a opinion? Do you, think they, do you think they buy a big in January? Do you think they try and actually get their really talented players to be really talented? Uh, how many minutes have you got? 30? 40? You ready for this? <laughs> um, I mean, so I think I saw just before we started recording, again, this is probably going to be sort of like uh, a dead point because the game will have happened by the time a lot of people hear this, but I think Rashford and Pogba included in the squad for the day, which means we may see Rashford start. It was expected it would be Greenwood, who's mm. 17 years old, Marcus Rashford himself, not the oldest of players, but certainly not indicative of like the strongest attacking lineup that Man United could have. So I think they probably... I don't think Jonathan Wilson wrote a good piece this weekend about how like sacking Solskjaer isn't going to solve any of the problems, and I do agree with that. I think he probably is part of the problem, but I think he is one of the more small-scale problems, which is insane to say about the manager of a Premier League team such as Manchester United. But I think they need so much more overhaul in terms of the people making the decisions about who to sign in January, which is a feeling I've had for a while. I think they need a director of football. I think yeah. Ed Woodward can't continue to operate the way he has been. And I think even though they're still financially strong i like a continued failure definitely turns people away and like rodri this is unrelated but like rodri had the quote today about like how manchester is a town and it's cold and the weather's bad and you can walk wherever you want and it's not very big and like that is the case (laughs) like manchester is a rainy place to live um especially as we get into the winter and like it's just not a very big draw. And so I say all that to say that like, if you're struggling, you're not playing exciting football, things seem like a mess across the board, similar to Newcastle. Do people want to go there? Do people want to sign there? I think it's a thing that Manchester United probably have to deal with at some point. So maybe that means they go out and sign a bunch of exciting attacking players. I still just don't have the faith that that really solves any sort of problem aside from giving them more big names who could perform but might as equally underperform. Yeah, and I think obviously the idea of throwing money at the problem has not worked in the post-Ferguson era. <laughs> oh has no, it? so we has well, it not? I, I think we can safely say it's not been a successful strategy. Yet uh, the one thing I think that would be key is something you pointed to there is the appointment of a director of football. That's something mm-hmm. they've said they would do, isn't it? On record, they've said they yes. they're going to do that, and they haven't. And the one thing that needs changing is structure and people who make the decisions, and that seems to be where they're falling short. It it certainly does, because those people who are making the decisions then have, like, 
I hope this makes sense, but it makes sense to me. It's like if you have a vested interest in proving that you're correct, then that does kind of put blinders on you. And mm. I like to, as an example, like Edward Wood, he's involved in bringing back Paul Pogba. There were reports this weekend that Pogba now wants something like 400,000 pounds a week, which seems to be an attempt to kind of force his way out of the club. But if you're Ed Woodward, who has a vested interest in saying like, no, this was a great signing. It was a great bit of business. He's awesome. We want to keep him. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility for me that he actually does that and pays Pogba that amount of money. Even if Paul Pogba is an incredible player, it then sets that precedent or furthers that precedent that they established with Alexis Sanchez. And it means that everybody else expects to be paid that amount. And it just seems like they need somebody to come in who has the actual, like, football IQ to know how to deal with these issues. I personally would love to see Edwin Vandersar given a go, even even if he's CEO and not director of football at Ajax. I still think he's done a very good job. But... It just seems like there are so many minor to medium to large issues that all stem from uh, the board, from the front office, from the way the club is run, that even if they sign a forward or two, and even if Solskjaer figures out some of the tactical issues he's had, I still don't have faith in that organization long term to kind of return the club to where they're expected to be. I think the answer is clear for everybody here. Harry Redknapp, director of football. He, you know, he, he loves earning money. He loves uh-huh. uh, getting to teams you wouldn't expect back into the Champions League. All the, all the ingredients are there. <laughs> Perfect. You can sign some more players whose names he can't pronounce. That sounds <laughs> like Nico Crenshaw right will there. return. <laughs> he absolutely will if Harry Redknapp's appointed. <laughs> Let's not let that rumor happen. Let's instead talk about today's sponsor. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you in part by SeatGeek, our old friends over at SeatGeek. They make buying and selling tickets as easy as possible so you can get your money or get your tickets and be on your way. Absolutely. You can get sports on there, live music, comedy, mm-hmm. so much more. Anything that's got a ticket, you can get it on SeatGeek, and it has all of them in one place. And the thing I love about SeatGeek, Tay-Tay, as I've What's mentioned that? before, is the scale of 1 to 10, the traffic light system mm-hmm. of whether you're getting a good deal. If your tickets are a good deal, it's not necessarily ranked by price, but if there's a seat they see is that's great value for money. Green light, 10 out of 10, and other seats ranked thusly. Big fan <laughs> of that kind of I, I just love I, that. I really enjoyed I had one a while ago. I was looking at like concerts, like a stadium concert sort of thing. And the, the deal was the deal was red, even though the tickets seemed like inexpensive. And I was very confused by this until I clicked and you can like see where you're gonna be sitting, you can kind of see what you're getting. And then I realized that it was like one of those par- partially obstructed quote unquote, which is to say that there was a giant Ooh. pole in the way, which blocked like the view of maybe three quarters of what you would be able to be seeing. So again, they have that kind of feature to protect you against buying tickets and then staring at a pole for two hours. That's one of the big shames of Premier League stadiums being renovated and changed, by the way. The, the lack of poles obstructing views anymore. <laughs> that used to be a pretty classic tenet of, uh, of going to a Premier League game. Yeah. And, I, I mean, mean unless, unless you're going to buy tickets to Bayern Munich and you want to watch Robert Lewandowski, then Ayo. it makes sense. But otherwise, I wouldn't go that route. Uh, <laughs> and I would say, Ryan, for you, I was, I was sort of excited on your behalf because like, uh, I think I saw last week, maybe it was, there was a big announcement coming out of Charlotte. I thought maybe it was going to be MLS related. It was not. It was the Carolina Panthers owner saying that he wants to like turn Charlotte into a destination town for music, uh, for music and large shows. So I think Billy Joel coming your way. I'm assuming you're excited. That's right, yeah. The, the, the exciting new modern face of the Carolina Panthers is going to be a Billy Joel concert, so I can't wait for that. 
uh, a man my brother exclusively refers to as William Joel. Uh, but yes, uh, William Joel aside, uh, a quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews for SeatGeek. Uh, and that shows you how many people have been happy, but also how easy the app is to use and how much it gets used to, for people to find tickets. And if our listeners uh, want to use that app and get $10 off, they can do so. Ryan, can you explain how? You, you've buried the lead, Tay-Tay. The good What's news that? is there's $10 off here. Oh, there we go. First okay. SeatGeek purchase. Absolutely. What do you do? Download the SeatGeek app or go on the website. Promo code TSS for $10 off that first uh, purchase. That's TSS. That stands for Total Soccer Show. It does. It does. And I like that you almost went podcast there for your, for your first podcast. I, yeah, I think just, you really are on brand today. <laughs> International Podcast Day is all on my mind. <laughs> uh, well, what other leagues are on your mind, Ryan? Where, where should we go next? Oh, how about Spain? Should we go to Spain? I like Let's Spain. Go to Spain. Do you like Spain? I like Spain. I've I, never I been think, to Spain, um, but I like Spain. Oh, well, you should go sometime. Because, I really uh, should. It's the land of thumbs up for me right now, Tete, because uh, they're having a lovely parity party mm-hmm. in their league table. Have you noticed? Parity party. Parity party of uh, five points separating the top eight teams there. That's only matched by the Bundesliga, which has four points separating the top nine. Those Continentals, they're having a wonderful time right now, Taylor. They really are. They, they finally moved away from the old like narrative of like only one of two teams or one of three teams can win it. Instead, we've got lots of different teams. And it's and to the extent that it confuses me because midweek, I think Athletic uh, Bilbao were top of the table last mm. week when I talked to Graham Ruthven about, uh, about all things La Liga. And when I went to check the standings today, I was like, oh, there must be a typo because suddenly now they're seventh. But that's how quickly things can swing and change when yeah. you have it as tight as you do, which again makes it really exciting because then you do have that feeling of all of these games matter it's not just when Real or Barca or Atleti slip up or when they play each other it does seem like lots of different teams can beat lots of other different teams uh this season so it's kind of all to play for at least right now uh again in late September early October yeah now we're all we're all jumping on that Granada bandwagon right now. oh yeah we are and should we move from the excitement of the La Liga parity party to Atletico Madrid nil Real Madrid nil (laughs) What, you mean the most exciting game that's ever been played? Uh, if you enjoy, I, I saw. Oh, I forget who it was. Was it Julian Laurent? I think explaining this game is like if you really like tactical adjustments and kind of responding to what the other team is doing to completely nullify what they're doing, then mm. you would have loved this game because it's a nil-nil. Uh, but I think that was maybe a bit generous and not quite the same overall vibe as it was the last time these two teams met. It was slightly different when they met in the US this summer, wasn't it? There was a yeah. few more goals in that in that. Was encounter. it nine more goals? It was approximately nine more goals <laughs> to the nearest goal. Yeah. Uh, so a, a little different. Was that, a, was that a Meadowlands? Was that in New York, that one? I seem to remember. It, feel, it feels like a Meadowlands type thing. It feels yeah. like a Meadowlands kind of game. And it, I mm-hmm. believe it was. Uh, so this one, a little bit more cagey. And by the way, uh, props to uh, Zidane for doing some tactics there. Well mm-hmm. done. That's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> for, for doing some tactics. Doing some tactics. That's not something I associate with, uh, with uh, Ramjins Zidane <laughs> anyway. Um, these two sides, these two sides spent almost 600 million euros in the summer. And it totally showed. And we got a nine goal swing from the previous meeting. And we got some of the best performers being the performers that we've come to know from both sides. Karim Benzema has the, the probably the best chance, the big header that is well saved by Jan Oblak, who has been with Atleti for a good amount of time now, but pulled off some massive saves for them to keep this nil-nil. Mm-hmm. And I would say for Atleti, the player that stood out, and I know you will agree because you noted it first, and then when I went and watched this game, he stood out as well. Thumbs up to Thomas Partey, who looked very, very good in this game. 
We're having a parity party and a party party today. Yeah, frankly, in, you in put it together league. better than I could. Very well good. He, he, I mean, uh, this was his 100th league mm-hmm. game for Atleti. Is he the best midfielder in Espana right now? Because he's been, we, we know his quality, but in this game, he particularly shined. You know, he's got great vision, massive engine, really good in the duels. And there's the stats here. Uh, he had the most touches in this game, the most passes, the most passes in the opposition half, the most recoveries and the most tackles. So uh, how long until Man United sign him and ruin him as well? That's the question, I, I suppose. I really want them to sign him is my answer <laughs> to that. It is, it is the case that things are so poor at United that I'm now like fantasy watching other teams to be like, yeah, <laughs> that guy, let's get him. But Thomas Partey is one of the players who I genuinely do think would make a massive difference for one reason you mentioned in there. Like His passing statistics are very impressive, but sometimes, like we've talked about this on the show before, you and I have, and I believe Daryl and I have, that like... Passing statistics can be misleading because a center back can have 96% pass accuracy, but that's because they're passing to the other center back or back to the goalkeeper or to one of the fullbacks, and that's it. Not exactly high-risk passes. So when I saw Partey's stats, I then went and watched kind of the individual breakdown of his uh, passing performances. Yes, there are some uh, going backwards because he's the number six, and if he's dropping in to pick up the ball, if it comes from one center back, he may lay it off to the other. But that seemed to be more of a rarity than it was the sort of norm. Instead, it felt like Thomas Partey's entire task was turn and play the ball forward or find a way to play the ball at least sort of diagonally forward. And he does that Mm. with a consistency that I found really impressive because even under pressure, he would still try to have the ball at least go wide and forward to one of the fullbacks who was advancing or one of the midfielders. Or he would sort of feint one way, turn the other, throw off the defender, and then play the ball forward. But that he was trying to get it out of Atleti's half and into the opposition half and then continue forward with it is an incredibly difficult skill to pull off and that he pulled it off so consistently is a big reason why I think Atleti have been as strong as they have and why I don't look forward to Manchester United signing him and then ruining him. <laughs> Pass and move, that's the Atleti groove. I like yeah. the stuff. But the fact that he was the standout player in this game, and I think he was a standout player, I, I agree. it's, it's kind of it's a damning indictment of some of the big stars on the field, wasn't it? I mean, Gareth Bale didn't have a great one. Diego Costa wasn't great. Joao Felix was got subbed, wasn't even that great. Benzema, we mentioned, wasn't didn't have a great one. Yeah. Eden Nazar, he needs yeah. a big old thumbs down from this situation, doesn't he? He he looked like a player who has played. This looked like a derby being played at the end of the season when Eden Hazard was playing like one too many games without a break, and and that were we're very early into the season, only seven games played in La Liga right now. How fatigued he looked, especially he looked especially in the second half. Uh, I think he ends up coming off in like the 75th, 77th minute, something like that. Um, Yeah. Like it was telling to me that that's when you want him to kind of kick it to that next level and really raise his game and find a way through or find a way to like play a ball in for Gareth Bale or Karim Benzema or uh, Jovic who comes on as well very late, although I guess they didn't overlap then. Uh, But like you want to see him sort of find a way to get a win, to create something, and it didn't seem like Hazard had that, especially in the second half. If anything, it felt like he was becoming more of a liability and that's why he needed to be substituted. Well, it's really sad to see how, how much he's struggling in general, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. in, in this game, no shots at all. Uh, there was that moment, I think, at least one time when Partey absolutely sold him on, on getting yeah. past him as well. Uh, the the Champions League game, he was barely on the field, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking. I don't know. I just feel sorry for him because he's really nice. He's a great player and he's a really nice guy. So I want him to do well there. But it's just, it doesn't, whether it's fatigue, whether it's frustration, whether it's not fitting in well, it's, something's not quite right there. Mm-hmm. And there was a little um, passage here from Marco, which I'll read you. What is Hazard lacking 
uh, Zidane was asked by a journalist. Not much, he responded. We have to get behind him. He put a real good shift in. Does he mean on the field? Where was the shift? <laughs> I didn't see this his, shift. His shift from first to second gear, I think, is what, uh, what Zidane was especially impressed by. Maybe Not he makes some work like shifts in the canteen during the week or something. Maybe it yeah. was that. I don't know. Oh, I, I do think from what I've read that like Hazard is the type of player who once the game is over, the game is over and he's on to the next thing. Like he does not necessarily like live and die by results and his on field performances, which can be good because it means that you're not like sort of leap, like like lumping all this pressure onto yourself. It doesn't mean that you feel insane amounts of pressure in every single moment. But in a place like Madrid, where those fans can turn on you very quickly, especially if you were supposed to be this marquee name coming in to turn everything around, yeah. if you don't raise that game and then you have like when you're winning and you're sort of like, oh, whatever, it's just winning. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, there's this idea of like, oh, he's so cool. He doesn't even care. Like, he's just off kind of like living his life and winning. But when you're losing, it then suddenly becomes like, oh, he's so aloof. He doesn't even care about things. And I do feel like this is one of those times when if he doesn't turn it around and start to perform more consistently for them and create more for Madrid, you will see that switch happen when suddenly the fans turn on him. And then he is a lazy player who doesn't really care about the team. Maybe him and Gareth Bale can go off and form a little, a little clique of their own. Wouldn't that be fun? A little golf clique? A little golf clique. I <laughs> like it very much so. And, but I, I think this game in general, by the way, I, I previewed this game for Yahoo Sports. And I did mm-hmm. predict, I actually, I'm, I'm proud to say I did predict a draw in this one. Six of the last eight between these have now been draws. And you could look at the stats. You could look at the fact that they've both had reasonably slow starts mm-hmm. and the relative parity of these two teams and the league. A draw seemed like a fairly inevitable result with this one. But it also seemed during the game that both of them were pretty happy mm-hmm. with the draw. Was it a little less intense than you expected as well? Yeah, but with that said, like I remember going back to like Madrid derbies when De Gea was playing for Atleti, and it felt like a foregone conclusion that it was going to be Madrid winning. That wasn't really their rival. It was always El Clasico. That was going to be the determinate series of games. Yeah. So that this one actually felt like it mattered is maybe a step in the right direction. And, I mean, worth noting, it's it's... It's the weird reality of Real Madrid that we're talking about this team as though they're in crisis and need to deal with so many different issues, and they sort of do, and yet they're still top of the table. Atleti did not impress, did not look as strong either. As you said, João Felix did not like kind of raise that game to that next level for the no. price tag he carries, and yet they sit third. So it's like, it's and what, uh, 15 points for Madrid, I think that would mean uh, 14 points for Atleti. Uh, it's, it's so tight there, and yet it does seem like because of the way things have gone and because of how many points have already been dropped it also feels like both teams are kind of in crisis mode even as they're first and third in the table speaking of crisis mode should we move mm-hmm. on to crisis club barcelona oh of course crisis club barcelona but uh the fourth <laughs> in la liga and yet also still in crisis very much so well the uh, the good news is it's thumbs up because their away game crisis is over They've won an away game, ladies and gents. Hetafe being their victims this weekend. Two goals in this one. Uh, Luis Suarez and Junior Firpo, last week's villain of the week, getting yeah. a goal in this one. Good for him. Uh, he listened. He was he was sad that he let you down, so he responded uh, with a strong performance and a solo goal in this one. Very much, and a nice one, nicely taken as well. And this, this being the first away win of Barcelona season, obviously building on that midweek win uh, over Villarreal as well. A uh, mm-hmm. little bit of a better performance than against Villarreal here, but still, still this club, uh, sorry, this team are not quite physically there. It still seems it's not quite a hundred percent. They're not, um, they're not talk- speaking to each other. 100%, not, not, not a huge understanding between the players, I should say. Still some defensive naivete mm. going on here. 
I mean, they're not quite at the races, are they? To put it lightly. Uh, not quite yet. Uh, I mean, but this is still a team that did not have Lionel Messi play in this game at all. I don't think he was even in the squad. No. They finished the game with 10 men because uh, Langley picks up his second yellow in the 82nd minute. Mm. So with that said, to be able to kind of go on the road, given the difficulties they've had, I do think this is probably more of a confidence-building win for them than certainly uh, it was for either of the Madrid teams in that draw. But then a lot of performances have been for Barcelona this season because Luis Suarez returns, he gets the goal strangely assisted by Ter Stegen which is not a thing you usually see nor is Route one baby on the score sheet yeah <laughs> as a Wimbledon fan that's my bread and butter that kind of goal I had a feeling you'd appreciate it but <laughs> it, it it does seem like like I equate it with this like if you're playing poker and you're losing early but you're learning about how your opponents like to play then later in the game when you start to dominate because you've been paying attention to them this is where I feel like Barcelona are right now. Is that like they've been losing, but they've figuring, been figuring things out. They've been playing, I guess, shorthanded because they don't have Lionel Messi. Now, when he returns, it seems like maybe they figured some stuff out. You put those components together. The fact that they're in fourth right now, but again, two points behind Madrid at top of the table. It does seem like they're going to start clicking here in the near future and putting together a strong run of form that sees them push back up to second, if not first. That yeah. said... You know, things change on this show. One week, Newcastle, the greatest team on the planet. The next week, or a few weeks later, they're decidedly the opposite of that. So we shall see. But I I, I was more, um, not heartened because I'm not a Barcelona fan, but like I, I felt like this was a stronger result than even a 2-0 scoreline might have suggested. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and Firpo can definitely be lumped into the zero to hero category there with Newcastle yeah. as well, for sure. <laughs> like, um, what I would ask you, though, Tay-Tay, mm-hmm. is Lionel Messi, yeah. based on his current form and... Uh, predilection for injuries these days Mm -hmm. does he deserve a spot in this team i mean yes (laughs) i mean like i take your point and it's like he's been injured he's been knocked around a little bit he has not been as involved this season other players have kind of come in and done their best to deputize but in my mind they're still deputizing like it's still Lionel messi until he is like not able to play the way he has played until you can see the obvious glaring deficiencies in his game, then maybe he falls off. But honestly, until it's like very painfully obvious, I still think Messi should start for Barcelona every single week. Follow-up question. Uh huh. We've been marveling at Messi and Ronaldo, obviously, for the past decade yes, or sir. so. Is this a season where we finally see Messi drop off? This is it. End of the uh- road. It, it seems like it's possible that this is the season we see both of them drop off. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, I have not watched as much Juventus lately because I like Serie A has been interesting in other realms, and Juve tend to be the machine that wins. Uh, but it, like from what I have heard, uh, Ronaldo is is having his own injury issues, but is also looking a little slower than we've seen him look, a little less fit than we've seen him look. And mm-hmm. I think Lionel Messi to have missed as much of time as he already has. Yeah, I think this is pr- we're probably getting to that point in both of their careers where it starts to be more noticeable some of the dips not necessarily like it goes from 100 to zero but probably like 100 to 80 and then hangs around that 80 period for a while and then maybe dips a little bit further down which is a sad reality that i think we're all probably going to like like without meaning to i guess subconsciously like work against and be like oh no he's still got it he's still got it because it's been so exciting to have these two go back and forth for so long the idea of that not being the case anymore even though they're in different leagues they're still the two premier players in the world i would say I kind of am not ready for that to be over, is I guess yeah, maybe where I, part of my answer comes from. I feel the same way. I feel like we've known it's coming for a while, but I'm not ready for it yet. 
I, well, I'll tell you what. What we've known was coming for a while, but we are now ready for is another word from today's sponsor. Does that work for you, Mr. Bailey? Oh, my gosh. Your sagging is marvelous. <laughs> I, I do my best, my friend. <laughs> and today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at HelloFresh. Uh, with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit uh, delivery service, you get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. Ryan, we have not talked too much about your culinary endeavors on this show. Do you like to cook? And do do you feel like HelloFresh would help you enjoy cooking more or help you start to enjoy it if you don't like it at all? I, I relate my culinary, uh, culinary uh, expertise mm-hmm. to my soccer expertise. I'd okay. like to be a lot better than I am. <laughs> but you're English, so you think you're good at it? If we're going to continue with the soccer to food analogy, like the English think they're good at it, but maybe the cuisine is a, a slight letdown? That's yeah, what I'm lo- I look down on American cuisine. Of course, obviously. <laughs> you have to. It's your obligation. No, in reality, I'm, I, I'm the exact opposite there. But I do love myself a home fresh uh, delivery mm-hmm. service. Uh, because one of my gripes about this country, I don't have many gripes about this country, Tay-Tay, but it's the grocery store experience. In that, I don't know if you find this as well, but we find it, you can't get everything you want from one grocery store. Like one grocery store it, yeah. does the best meat, one does the best vegetables, mm-hmm. one does this, one does that. You can't. There's not like elsewhere, perhaps in Europe, where you get everything under the same roof. And so I like something like HelloFresh because I don't have to engage in that whole thing. Weirdly, so yes, I agree with everything you said, and and I think a big part of it is like the more specified, like my my tastes have gotten. I sound so pretentious, and I don't mean to, but like <laughs> but like like the United States is often mocked as being the land of the giant grocery store where you have fifteen types of one product, and that is often the case with certain things. But I absolutely agree with you that lately it has required me going to three different grocery stores because like if you're looking for olives and you want a specific type of olive, and that grocery store only has like the jarred. Uh, green ones with pimento in the middle. That might not be what you want, so you got to go to the other one. And yeah, you've got to like shop it around and find different things. And then if you're looking for like a, a, a meal that you've got prepared out, that you've got planned out, but maybe this store doesn't have lemongrass or this store doesn't have I don't know buckwheat flour or whatever you might need, then you oh. do have to go to a bunch of different places, which makes HelloFresh all the more useful because they send you the prepackaged ingredients with the recipe card that has the pictures that explain how to put it all together. So you don't have to go out and, and buy that extra little thing. You don't have to go find like uh, a little bit of salt that you may not like have forgotten to get because I often forget to get salt when I've run out. Well, Here, they'll send you that little bit of salt that you might need to complete the recipe. With, the, with those ingredients you've just listed, you, you've revealed yourself as being way more bourgeois than I expected of you. But <laughs> that's good because with HelloFresh uh, you what, get... What, olives and buckwheat flour? <laughs> exactly. Right, here's 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 your pro tip from, from I learned from my brother. Buckwheat flour, uh, either no gluten or very limited gluten. So if you were trying to be gluten-free but you still like pancakes, buckwheat flour gives you the hearty pancake that is extra delicious. So if anyone's still listening, HelloFresh has uh, 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. There's something for everyone from family recipes to Calorie Smart and vegetarian and fun menu series like the Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. Who doesn't love a Kraft Burger? I know you do, Tay-Tay, because you love buckwheat. Let me tell you about my cra- – no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> what I am going to do is tell you that you can get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh right now. Go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and enter the code TSS80 to get that $80 off your first month. One more time, that's HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 and enter TSS80 at checkout for $80 off your first month that's of like HelloFresh. eight meals for free there, baby. 
Wow. That is correct. <laughs> and I appreciate the baby being thrown in as well. <laughs> I appreciate HelloFresh uh, sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very, very much to our friends over at HelloFresh and Buckwheat Flour. Uh, now <laughs> let's move to Italy, shall we? Yes, see, yes. <laughs> um, uh, my thumbs, thumbs from Italy are mostly involving uh, Milan or the Milan clubs, I guess we could start with, because, Ryan, you brought to my attention that we, we may have a, a new San Siro in the very near future. Oh, yes, of course. The San Siro is up for, it's been uh, touted for a while that one club would move away or they would mm-hmm. redesign and, you know, the whole area around the San Siro. Looks like they've got it down to staying in the general area of the San Siro, but completely redesigning the stadiums. Mm-hmm. We got two competing designs here, yep. Tete. One's called the Cathedral, which mm-hmm. is uh, apparently. It draws its inspiration from Il Duomo and the Galleria. Kind of looks, it's got a similar square aesthetic to the current San Siro. The second option is the Rings of Milano, which has got Mm -hmm. uh, on its facade more than 16,000 faces of fans of the club uh, sort of splashed onto the side of it. That sounds wonderful. I I would love to know how they pick those faces. The Rings of Milano looks a bit more like the Wanda Stadium, uh, Atletico Madrid's uh, famous home, which Mm. I always call that for no good reason. Um, And... (laughs) My, I'm going to give thumbs up to the Rings of Milano just because it feels a bit Games of Throny having loads of faces all over the side of the stadium, and I want to see it. Ooh, see, okay, you went that fantasy route. The problem for me is that anything that anything, like, anytime anything is called the Rings, I instantly think Lord of the Rings, mm. and then you're going to have all those jokes of like, who is the Lord of the Rings when you have the Milan Derby? And I don't know if I need that in my life. Whereas uh, the Cathedral, I really did enjoy, and then I saw your note that you preferred the Rings, and I was prepared for a fist fight. Uh, but the Cathedral, as you said, it draws the inspiration from like local architecture, but it also just has to me a very classical style. It has that kind of rectangular boxy feel uh, and it, it just it felt very like northern Italy these two teams coming together in the cathedral to uh, to battle it out it, it, it felt like the drama was there but I take your point the faces in the rings it's got the sci-fi fantasy element that also lends itself to you know violence and insanity so it could work either way and to draw things back to Man United for you, because I love to do that, to, oh to tease you every time, does this not just highlight the fact that Old Trafford has been left untouched for like a couple of decades now, and they could really probably do with uh, redesigning the experience Ryan, what are you doing? Well. Ryan, don't do this. They're going to hear you, and they're going to add another 100,000 seats that they don't need at the expense of like, yeah, we'll go to League One for a while. It'll be fine. Ryan, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? I don't like this at all. I also don't like uh, the AC <laughs> Milan organization. I'm taking it back to Milan. I'm not going to let you distract me too much. Because hey, I'm going I'm to say thumbs down to the entire AC Milan organization. Uh, they lose uh, one to three to Fiorentina, uh, indicating that Milan were at home. Uh, they now have six points from their first six games, have only scored four goals. And the really telling thing here, uh, Cur- the Curvasud, the like the diehard uh, like section of supporters for AC Milan left before the final whistle for the first time in decades. This was a much covered thing in Italy, uh, in Serie A, that Milan fans have grown so dissatisfied with a team that has done so many things over the last like decade or so to disenfranchise the fandom that they finally walk out before the final whistle. And I think it was justified given how lackluster Milan looked and also how strong Fiorentina looked. So on the index of fan annoyance, does that rate mm. higher than throwing a moped down from one tier to the other? I think it does, because you have to be there physically to throw the moped down from That's one tier true. to another. And it takes a lot of effort and dedication to get the moped into the stadium past security. <laughs> Just walking out 
is just an easy thing to do at the very end. A moped in and then off the railing is uh, wildly dangerous and in- incredibly uh, frightening. But at the same time, it takes effort is all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, it also takes effort to continue to employ the series of managers that Milan have employed or not employed. Uh, they hired Marco Giampaoli, or Paolo, excuse me, uh, this offseason. <laughs> I was reading about this a little bit, that they essentially brought in a manager who clashed completely with the style they've been playing and with the personnel they have. Giampaolo prefers a, I think it's a 4-3-1-2, a very narrow 4-3-1-2. Milan have very attacking fullbacks. They have like lots of attackers who can f- like flourish out wide. That is not what he wants them to do, which I think partially explains why they've struggled the way they have. But being Milan, they're now faced with the decision of do they back the manager and kind of double down and tell the players to get on board and keep him there long term? Or do they bring in somebody else to try to right the ship? And it feels like they're going to bring in somebody else to right the ship is the way these t- things tend to go, at least. Who would have thought that the manager who's had nine Italian jobs since 2006 wouldn't be a long-term prospect. I can't... It baffles me. (laughs) It really baffles me, too. And if he's gone, the names I've heard mentioned are Claudio Ranieri is, like, one that was kind of thrown out. Uh, I think there's Max Allegri has been on there as well. I don't... It feels a little... Like uh, a a slightly higher grade version of Newcastle of why you would go from <laughs> oh, like boy. the most successful tub, uh, club in Italy right now to a team that are an absolute dumpster fire. I don't know why Allegri would take that, which is where rumors come in that they're now talking to Andrei Shevchenko, who is, mm-hmm. I believe, currently managing Ukraine, um, that he could come in and take over. And it, and it brings about the question, Ryan, why do you think – and I mean this sincerely, although I expect – any answer you would like to provide is, is welcome. Why do Milan keep turning to former players? Why do you feel like that is their solution to this? Because it's been, what, Seydorf, Inzaghi, Gattuso. If they go with Shevchenko, that's another one. I think Montella was in there. I think he played for them briefly. Like, it just seems to be this approach of, we'll sign a former club legend, and that has to fix things. I think they just like nostalgia. I think that, <laughs> I mean, that, that might well could be. I, I imagine the executives at Milan just sit there watching Friends on Netflix all day. That kind of, you know, that's their vibe. <laughs> remember when things were good remember in the 90s? We, remember the 90s. Remember when we, we did things well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, of all, the, of all the people we've been discussed, you'd think that a return for Allegri might be the most... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you'd even call it sensible. These are, this is mm-hmm. the Newcastle of uh, Italy, as we have uh, discussed here. But in general, t- t- talking about this game, if I may step back to this game... Mm-hmm. I think we could have called this result. In fact, I did. Fans of my work, well, the fan of my work who's listening, hi, mum, will see that uh, I previewed this game last week and said that Fiorentina would win. I think one reason is because they are set up to exploit the narrow, or the defensive weakness that Milan have on the width, which is something mm-hmm. you sort of mentioned there, which is a Gianpaolo uh, trait. Uh, and Fiorentina... Although they've had terrible run in Serie A, this you know I think in midweek was only their first win in Serie A in nineteen. They have looked like they're going about to get going this season. I think they had ran Napoli close on the opening mm-hmm. day. They drew Juventus. You know they've got great players. They've brought in new joysy businessman Rocco Comiso is getting things done. It seems a little bit so Fiorentina might be coming back a little bit this season. And I called the win here, and I think it, it, it came to pass. And yeah, and things not looking so good for Mr. Giampaolo here. How, I don't understand how you made Rocco Comiso perfectly Italian and then also Staten Island at the same time. But you did, and it's well done by you. That's some good pronunciation. Um, and and it's, it was telling to me in watching this that, like, Frank, uh, Frank Ribery, not Frank Lampard, again, former, former players becoming managers is on my brain right now. Like, Ribery, for that third goal, it looked like he was 24 years old again. He, he torches that Milan defense. And yeah. 
that could well be Ribéry rounding into form and feeling very confident, but it could also be that Milan's defenders were just so on their heels and incapable of dealing with kind of counterattacking, vicious counterattacking threats that they back off and they let, let Fra- uh, Frank Ribéry score like a, a legitimate highlight goal. Like he just cuts and cuts and embarrasses and then puts it back across himself into the far side netting. It's, it's a lovely goal, but it highlights just how sort of standoffish and like just not up for the fight uh, Milan appeared on the day. They they made Frank Ribery look like peak Diego Maradona in this yes. entire game. Like even the penalty, the, the penalty for the for the opening goal, mm-hmm. that was from a really lovely run down the middle. And then I will say the other goals did come from wide positions. Like well, they, the penalties were you mm-hmm. know the, the ball came in from a wide position, which highlights the highlights the point we're making here. Yep. But yeah, Frank Ribery, wowzers! What a game from him! I love it. And, and I believe he's the player who uh, draws the red card. He gets uh, a. But bottom, like the studs up to the yeah, shin, that never feels too good. So I guess Milan identified him as a threat early and tried to take him out as a threat early. But it ends up backfiring the red card. And then uh, Ribery goes on to score and Fiorentina go on to get all three points. And Milan are left uh, pondering what could be if Shevchenko comes in and takes things over. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen, but we shall see. So let's just move on steadily to a few other uh, games to get to before we, we f- call it a day in this weekend review. Uh, let's move to the Bundesliga. Let's talk Leipzig-Schalke. Leipzig, Schalke, eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Leipzig <laughs> at home. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. I'm sorry. I, I assumed that you were pulling a Daryl Grove and stalling for time while you pulled your notes back up. That's exactly uh, what that's, I was doing. That's what he tends to do. Uh, Leipzig <laughs> 1, Schalke 3. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to go negative first uh, because Schalke had a great performance. But I'm going thumbs down to Alexander Nubel. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's got the dots over the U. It confuses me. Uh, but that's Schalke's goalkeeper who... I I guess just really didn't want a clean sheet. He didn't want Schalke to get too arrogant, too confident from this one. So he instead goes for a, like to parry, to punch a shot, and it deflects off his knuckles, goes in off the bar. Not the best goalkeeping for uh, Schalke there. Yeah, it's not exactly uh, 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 yeah what I would call good in any mm-hmm. sense of the what word. What I would call good. <laughs> I mean, what was it an attempt? It wasn't an attempt to catch it. It was kind no. of a half punch. Was he going yep. for the punch? Was he? Did he, did he? Was he not expecting a shot at all? I don't understand how a professional could handle the ball like that. It was straight up bizarre. Yeah, I think so. I think he sees it a little bit late because it's a shot from like relative distance, like near the top of the box, through some defenders. So he sees it late, but I think there's also so little spin on the ball. And it's maybe a little bit similar to the Gundogan miss, where he still has time to react, even though he sees it late. But because there's no spin, I think he overthinks it. And instead of just getting his body behind it, blocking it, and then falling on top of the ball, he last minute decides, oh no, there's velocity on this, I'm just going to punch it clear, that's the smartest thing to do. But a knuckling ball with no spin is going to be a little bit difficult to read, and if you're going to punch, you got to hit it dead on, and he doesn't, and that's why a glancing punch does not land the same way maybe a knockout punch would and that's why i would say the ball ends up in the net yeah very much so and i did a little bit of research on alex newbill there mm-hmm. he did actually turn down a big money move to leipzig so they'll be glad they saved their uh, oh good save their save their euros on that one he also played outfield until he was 14 years old and he's only 22 now uh, a quote from one of his former coaches he wanted to be more involved and sometimes had to be persuaded to go in goal so do you think that david varga had to sit him down at the start of this game to say were you playing goal today please were you uh- Nope. You've got me wondering now. You've got me wondering if maybe he was like, final going goal, but then at the end was like, great, 3-0, we've got the shutout. 
the way this is going, they're going to keep me in goal the whole season. But if I punch it into my own <laughs> net, now they're going to have questions. Now I get to play uh, outfield. Yes, I'm yeah. with you now, Ryan. You've, you've stumbled upon the correct theory. Um, and while we're giving credit to innovative thinkers at Schalke, we should also give credit to David Wagner. Uh, 100% pure American David Wagner. Not at all uh, German-American. Not at all right. mostly German. Uh, but David Wagner uh, has led quite the turnaround there at Schalke. Wags. Well done. Yeah, four consecutive <laughs> wins, uh, 13 goals therein. Uh, he's definitely got them firing. They're definitely a very different beast today mm-hmm. th- th- than they were last season. Uh, completely took apart this this Leipzig team defensively, didn't they? That was they, a ver- they very did. comprehensive performance from him. Very impressive. Uh, wishing and expect big things of Schalke this season. I would like to, if I may, give a thumbs up to one of his charges as well. Please the do. Welshman, Rabi Montondo. I don't know if it's Rabi or Rabbi. It must be Rabi, right? Rabbi. Is he Welsh? I didn't know that. He's Welsh, yeah. He was at Manchester City. He's, he's a Welsh origin. Uh, so we had two Welshmen. We had Ethan Ampadu on the other side of things. And that we was had, what threw um, me off. And Montondo uh, here as well. Uh, actually, Schalke's US account uh, tweeted, Kroisoi Schalke, which in Welsh means welcome to Schalke. <laughs> That's that's good. I'm glad that they're uh, they're tweeting out nice things. Yeah. That, that, that's lovely for them. But it was more lovely for me that uh, Schalke kind of executed their game plan exactly as they wanted to because mm-hmm. it felt like they knew Leipzig were going to be aggressive in their pressing, aggressive in trying to win the ball back and get as many shooting opportunities as they could. And it's been a thing they were successful with so far this season. So for Schalke to kind of sit back, seed possession as much as they felt comfortable with, and then look to like wait until Leipzig overcommit numbers, then hit on the break. I mean, that's essentially where all three Schalke goals come from, even even though there's a penalty in there. Uh, it's still kind of the ability to execute a counterattacking game plan pretty flawlessly. Uh, has to have Schalke fans feeling at least slightly more confident than they were at this time last season, especially yeah. since they're now fourth as opposed to in slash near the relegation zone. Yeah, very much so, yes. And got quite a few exciting players to watch. I mean, uh, Weston McKinney had a decent game in this mm-hmm. one, but you've got uh, uh, Harrit's a really fun player to watch. He got an assist on this one as well. And Matondo, I think, has shown himself to be uh, very good in, in embarrassing goalkeepers who try and punch away his shots. Um, so, so there's, there's a few, there's a few really uh, good players. Uh, it's, it's, nice to, uh, it's nice, nice to see Schalke on the up again. And we've got John Joe Kenny in there. You've got, you've got an Englishman to, to make Ryan Bailey even, even happier. Well, he's, he's from the Republic of Liverpool, so I don't know if that counts as English per se. But yeah. and, uh, never mind then. Never mind. <laughs> I, I've, I've changed my mind entirely. But yeah, Schalke <laughs> turning things around. Uh, with that said, it is Munich uh, back on top in the Bundesliga. Leipzig second, Freiburg third, Schalke fourth. Uh, but uh, I think we have them as, as one of the leagues of parity as well, right? Because you've got four points separating first and ninth place in the table. So mm. a tighter Bundesliga than we're used to as well. It is very, very tied up there. So, yeah, this was, this was um, RB Leipzig seeding first place to Bayern Munich this weekend, of course, as you say. As I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also say that uh, I'm going to give thumbs down very briefly to the Intercontinental Derby, which happened this weekend. Uh, but I'm giving it thumbs down for being sort of the worst, but like like the worst case of being exactly what was expected. Nil-nil between Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, not the prettiest of soccer. I watched 30 minutes or so of this one, and it was pretty ugly, pretty physical, pretty direct, which is what 
uh, these games, especially these Derby games, can be. But then outside of that game, there was fan violence, reports of a fan stabbing and I believe killing another fan uh, over an argument. I'm going to assume those were two rival fans. These tend to be very well-policed, like to to an almost militant degree. Uh, I don't know if they allowed fans in this time, away fans that is. Uh, There was a good five-year period where away fans were not allowed to travel to these types of derbies, and the fan violence would be the exact reason why. So it was sort of like basically living up to all of the worst stereotypes of this type of derby between these two teams that really don't like each other, but instead of keeping that on the field, it boils over, and that is the last thing I wanted to see. So thumbs down all around for the Intercontinental Derby. Oh, boy. So do you follow Galata? Did you live in Istanbul? Was it Istanbul you lived in? Uh, we did, yeah. Uh, yeah. My wife and I did uh, for a year and a half. We lived like two blocks, one block from the Besiktas Stadium. Uh, so I think that's the team that she would claim to support. That's the team that has a lot of love in my heart. But I went to Turkey for the first time in 2005 when I was in college. And the kind of host student who took me around was a Galatasaray fan. That was the first time I went to a game in Europe. I went to their old stadium where everything moved despite being concrete. The whole stadium would shake when people jumped up and down. It was a pretty good time. So that's where that loyalty comes from. But yeah, Galatasaray, Besiktas would be the two that uh, I follow uh, in that area of the world for sure. I've been, I've been treated. I haven't. It's been a while since I watched Galatasaray play, but you, you know, you got Falcao, Ryan Babel, yeah, uh, Nzonzi, Belhanda. Mm-hmm. It's like the island of lost toys for players, really, isn't it? That that is the Turkish league because you've still got like Adebayor thumping around in the Turkish league. Right. Uh, you, ha- I think you still have Artaçaran unless he's in prison or holding somebody else up at gunpoint. <laughs> uh, it, it's a lot of players who you kind of were like, oh yeah, like Fernando is still in there, former Man City cast off, is yeah. I believe with Galatasaray, but he may have moved on since then to another Turkish team. There's a lot of changeover and it's always, uh, it's always an interesting league uh, in that regard. All- also always an interesting league, especially at this time in the season, would be Major League Soccer. Let's round out our weekend review by giving some thumbs up or down to uh, the various teams in MLS. Ryan, where would you like to start? Should we give a thumbs up to Los Angeles, the city city that kindly hosted me this past weekend and who got themselves that supporter shield that we all knew Mm -hmm. they were going to get for a little while with a a nice rousing 1-1 draw in Minnesota. Yes. Uh, I think this is belated thumbs up to them for that one uh, because it's been a long time coming and they may have secured it earlier in the week, uh, but it's, they, we've not it. yet talked about it since it happened. Uh, but we should just say thumbs up to LAFC for winning the Supporters' Shield. We'll see if we end up giving them thumbs up for kind of keeping the playoff race very exciting because we do have a race in the Western Conference. There are two spots remaining with one game to play. And I'm going to say thumbs up to Colorado for making that possible, keeping hopes alive. Uh, they start the season Oh nine and two, not very good. They come roaring back twelve six and four since that point. Uh, they've beaten some of these stronger teams in the Western Conference to get yeah. themselves into a position where. Very unlikely, but still mathematically possible that with one game to go, they could end up making the Western Conference playoffs, which would be quite a feat. Yeah, so it, it does look a bit unlikely, but you know, there's there's a chance. There's four four teams going into two here for these final two spots, mm-hmm. as you say. Colorado, what, they're at LA this weekend? That's where I say LAFC could could make it even more interesting, is if yeah. they decide to let Colorado win. I doubt that would be the way it would go down, but maybe they rest some people, maybe they're looking towards the playoffs LA, give some of their starters a couple of days off, Carlos Vela doesn't need to score any more goals, he's got plenty, uh, so they sit him, maybe Colorado get those three points, that puts them on 45, but then they're still going to need some help with the teams ahead of them. Yeah, and in- also interestingly, Portland uh, playing San Jose this weekend, that's, yeah. that's the swinger, isn't it? I like the sound I- of that. 
I don't know what to make of these final of these final games because yeah, as you said, Portland home to San Jose, they're on forty six points. They're in the sixth of seven playoff spots. Then FC Dallas has the seventh one right now, forty five points home to Sporting KC, San Jose. Uh, right on the outside looking in with 44 points and they are away to Portland as we've already said a couple times yeah. but like all of these games could go any different way and I wouldn't be surprised Portland have have not been very good down the stretch nor have FC Dallas Jeremy Abubase is sort of the saving grace for Portland in the last couple games so if he doesn't perform if Portland continue to struggle maybe they do drop some points uh, I don't I think I'm guessing it would be Colorado hoping that Portland win and FC Dallas and San Jose lose that would do it and then Colorado can uh, get that spot on 45 five points but even then they need some goal difference so lots still to play for in MLS and I, I'm, I'm assuming given that they all play at the exact same time next week uh, Ryan and I will be back next next Monday to kind of break down some of what happened there let's do it let's do it as for predicting it now put the names in the hat because I've got no idea I mean, it seems, yeah, you know what, I'm not even going to, I was going to like try to throw two in there because we were, I think we had on the notes, we were going to try to figure out who gets those final two spots. I mean, I like Dallas, really, yeah. I like Dallas to get one of them. All right, I'd be fine with that. I like Paxton Pompical, I like Brandon Cervania, I like a lot of the youth movement there. So fine, FC Dallas in the playoffs, who else? That's the one I don't know. <laughs> I can't figure out, it's just because that Portland playing San Jose, I can't figure out what happens and how that, oh. I feel like Portland have had a, a difficult season with the Iron Front and dealing with Major League Soccer. So yeah, let's just let's give Portland that other spot as well because I feel like they deserve it. Even if Chris Wondolowski uh, shirt off celebrating with the San Jose supporters uh, while serving his one game suspension made me love him and them all the more. Uh, I'm okay with things finishing as they are right now. I'm also okay with things being dramatically different uh, at this time next week. But again, uh, if they are, and if even if they're not, Ryan and I will be back to uh, break down all that happened in MLS on the final day of the regular season absolutely you're so easy going that's why we all love you you know (laughs) hey i love you too buddy i love you too even if i'm not entirely convinced that your mom is your one fan because thus far i don't actually know if she's listening to the show i have yet to hear for sure that she has like hard thoughts on what you said or what i've said so until then i'm not even sure you have the one fan right well i'm not even convinced my mom has ever heard the word podcast before so we'll we'll (laughs) see about that uh as i've said before on this show uh my parents have but they still don't know what that word means they've heard the word they just don't know what it means uh but ryan thank you as always for joining me to break down the weekend that was uh it is as always very much appreciated always a pleasure never a choice